The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with investors bracing for new comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell when he has the Capitol Hill today, likely making the case for more, not fewer, rate hikes in 2023. And technical recession. That's what Bank of America's Brian Moynihan lays out, the big bank's base case for the future of the U.S. economy and how long a downturn could last. Plus, Mark Zuckerberg's Meta Platform's cutting costs once again, reportedly handing out thousands more pink slips as soon as this week. Plus, China's Xi Jinping offering a rare and a blunt message to U.S. policymakers during his speech at the National People's Congress. And then later, Elon Musk to hit the silver screen in a, quote, definitive and unvarnished examination. Interesting. It is Tuesday, March 7, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Thanks for joining us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a bit of a muted day of trading yesterday. The Southern Dow extend its daily win streak to four. Futures right now just slightly in the green here. We have a lot of optimism of perhaps that win streak continuing this is we await day one of Fair Chairman Jay Powell's two-day testimony on Capitol Hill. These are his first public comments in more than a month when he told the Economic Club of Washington he sees signs of disinflation popping up. The setup for Powell in the bond markets right now, we're looking at him. We're seeing yields, again, the 10-year note, very close to that 4% yield, something we continue to watch. We're still seeing the inversion in the yield curve. The two-year note at 4.86, the five-year at 4.22. Also looking at energy, oil Breaking just above 80 bucks a barrel right now. We're seeing WTI crude at 80 bucks and 50 cents, basically, up fractionally. Brent crude basically flat this morning at 86 bucks a barrel. And also, we're watching crypto, Bitcoin and Ether, especially as we always do. And this morning, we're seeing Bitcoin basically flat, Ether up marginally. Still, Bitcoin below that 25,000 mark that seemed to be key to it in recent months. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Eli Arabile Gumide is standing by in our London newsroom. Great to see you on TV. Arabile, great to see you in person over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was good to see you too then, Frank. Look, the market has certainly been one that has been a little topsy-turvy, right? Trying to figure out exactly where to go. Uh, Jerome Powell's Fed uh, speech will certainly be uh, quite interesting to note, as you've put out there. Just wanted to f- first quickly touch off in Australia, then, where the Reserve Bank of Australia has decided to hike its cash rate by 25 basis points to 3.6%. That is its 10th successive uh, rate hike. However, the RBA Governor uh, Philip Lowe did soften his hawkish tone, dropping references to further rate increases, saying instead that further tightening will be needed in order uh, to ramp down inflation as much as possible. If we shift our attention
reaching then uh, to most of Europe. We had seen the likes of the CAC 40 out in Europe uh, reach a record high uh, of around 7,400. It's just below that mark now. But still, on a positive note today, general sense of positivity then is what you're getting. Even the FTSE 100, even slightly uh, to the green there. But really, as I said, a flat tone across most of the indices. Very interesting then. Of course, we had seen some numbers come out uh, as well. We do have French protests also currently happening. That may filter into that market picture as uh, investors perhaps look to what exactly is shifting things along. On the company front, though, we've got the likes of Total Energies, which has warned that fuel deliveries at a number of its French sites have been halted today. And that is due to the industrial action. The energy giant says 64 percent of its workers are on strike protesting against the government's pension reform. Over in the UK, however, right here, British budget bakery Greggs has warned that high inflation will continue to pose problems this year as it posts a pre-tax profit of £148.3 million in line with expectations held back by rising costs of ingredients and energy. So clearly a negative picture then for Greggs. That's the picture right now out in Europe. Frank. All right, Airbnb Gumide live in London. Airbnb, thank you very much. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories back here in the U.S. Silvana Hanau is there with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Meta Platforms is reportedly planning a new round of layoffs targeting thousands of positions. According to multiple reports, the cuts could come as soon as this week and follow Meta's last round of layoffs, its biggest ever back in November, targeting 13 percent of its global workforce. And it's not just Meta this morning. Software maker Atlassian also announcing it's cutting 500 jobs, or roughly 5% of its workforce. The FTC is expected to sue Intercontinental Exchange as soon as Thursday over its proposed $13 billion deal to buy mortgage software maker Black Knight. According to Bloomberg, regulators are expected to challenge the deal over concerns it would create a near monopoly in the market for loan origination software. Along with the New York Stock Exchange, ICE also owns mortgage software company Ellie Mae, whose platform is the most widely used for loan origination. And WW International, formerly known as Weight Watchers, says it's buying subscription telehealth platform sequence for $132 million in cash and stock. The move would give WW a foothold in the nearly $50 billion obesity drug prescription business, Frank. Our Savannah now with those headlines. Savannah, we'll see you later on in the show. All right, Wall Street kicking off a busy few weeks of markets, moving data, starting with the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's two-day testimony before Congress today. Investors searching for any clues on the Fed's next policy move and its take on stubbornly high inflation. This is Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. He gives his own outlook for the U.S. economy, saying it will likely enter a technical recession starting in the third quarter of this year. His view, interest rates likely falling in the second quarter of 2024. Moynihan adding the three quarters of negative growth would be led by a corporate slowdown with quarterly contractions ranging between 0.5 and 1 percent. A lot to digest there, but joining me to discuss and break it all down, Michael Sheldon, RDM Financial Group Chief Investment Officer. Great to have you on. Good morning. Good morning. So first, I think I want to get your reaction to those comments by Brian Moynihan, obviously someone with a lot of data at his fingertips. Uh, What do you think about his thought that we're going to enter a technical recession later on this year? And what's the difference between a real recession and a technical one? Well, first of all, I think economists and uh, investors have rarely been this divided in their outlook for the economy. Um, Investors really fall into two camps. There's the soft landing camp where we see a decline in inflation, but we don't see a decline in the economy. And the hard landing camp 
where we see a decline in inflation as well as a decline in the economy. Our feeling is that um, there are some headwinds. There are definitely some signs to watch out there. For example, the yield curve is extremely inverted right now. The leading economic index has continued to go down. But watching all this, the U.S. consumer is on pretty good footing. And that represents, it's important because the U.S. consumer represents about two-thirds of the overall economy. So I think starting off this year, there's been some positive momentum. We had a blockbuster January jobs report of 517,000. Right. The retail sales numbers last month were pretty strong. Agreed. And this ISM services index, which has come out, has been above 55 or two straight months. So uh, right now, things look OK, but there are some headwinds. So we could see some weakness in the economy as we go through the year. So, Michael, I have to ask you, you danced around it just a little bit. Do you agree with Brian Moynihan? And as you look at investments going forward, are you in, are your investment strategy with the thought that we're going to enter some type of recession, technical or otherwise? I think the odds are the odds are in the favor that we'll have some further weakness this year and a possible a possible recession. Remember, in the first two quarters of last year, we had two negative quarters of GDP. And typically, that's sort of the household definition that you have of recession. But we didn't have weakness in many other parts of the economy. This time around, we're seeing some weakness in economically sensitive parts of the economy, like housing and manufacturing. The key will be if we start to see weakness in the U.S. consumer. And for that, I think it's most important to watch the weekly jobs numbers, which are a timely indicator that come out each Thursday morning. All right. You're talking about the weekly jobs numbers. Let's look ahead to the monthly job number. You mentioned last month blowout jobs report. I think it shocked just about everybody. But this week, what's going to have a bigger impact on the market in your mind? Uh, Powell's testimony or that Friday jobs number? I think they're uh, both important in different ways. Uh, Today, Powell needs to sort of talk tough and indicate that the job is not done yet. The markets right now are pricing in a 5.5% short-term Fed funds rate, and that's a lot higher than the 5% rate we started the year with right now. Uh, Powell has to indicate that the job is not done yet, and I think that could put some pressure onto the markets. But ultimately, Powell will say that the markets and the Fed are data-dependent. So I think that'll be okay for the markets to handle. When we get to Friday's jobs report, uh, over the past 12 months, jobs have uh, gained about 369,000 jobs per month. It's only normal to expect some slowing as the job market reaches full employment. So if we get a number, say, above 250,000, that could put some upward pressure on interest rates this Friday. Maybe a number under 200,000 would be probably sort of 150 to 200,000 would be the number the market's looking for. All right. So we're back in that scenario where good news is bad news and not so great news is somehow good news. Michael Sheldon from RDM Financial. Thank you for your insight and thank you for being here. All right, we come back here on WEX. Oil breaking above 80 bucks a barrel for the first time in weeks. But my next guest says he's not that worried about a sharp move even higher. Plus, China's Xi Jinping directs his direct message to U.S. policymakers during a speech at the National People's Congress. We are live in Beijing with the latest on his rebuke. And later, much more ahead of Powell's testimony on Capitol Hill and why his uphill battle away from accommodation, that may just be beginning. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to WEX. Oil prices right now. Basically flat, fractionally higher, looking at WTI crude at about 80 bucks a barrel. It closed just above 80 bucks a barrel in yesterday's session. Its highest level since it topped 82 bucks a barrel at the end of January. But WTI continues to be stuck in a very tight range and is only fractionally positive for the year. There seems to be a bit of a tug of war between optimism over the recovery demand and demand in China, the world's top oil importer, and worries over the impact of further Fed hikes could have on global growth. Gas prices are starting just an inch higher across the country. AAA says the average price of the pump is now $3.40 a gallon, up just about a nickel from a week ago, but still 60 cents below what it cost to fill up at the same time last year. Let's talk more about this with Denton's uh, Sinque Grana, uh, Chief Oil Analyst at the Oil Price Information Service. Great to have you on. Morning. Thanks for having me. So first, let's just talk about it. I think we keep talking about the China reopening, and then we see China talk about slower growth when it comes to GDP going forward. And then we also look here in the United States, the Fed continues to, write to, to hike rates, and there's fears of demand destruction from those rate hikes. So which one of those is a bigger impact on the oil market that we see is pretty much range-bound? Well, one thing we have to remember with oil at the end of the day, it's still a global market. So Right now, uh, market bulls are kind of putting all their eggs into the China basket, as well as the summer driving season basket here in the United States. So I think the kind of demand growth argument is winning for the time being. But like you said before, we're in a pretty tight range. We've been in a range really for the past four, four and a half months from about low 70s to, to about that 82, 83 level you had mentioned earlier. So as we look forward, I mean, the United States is a net exporter of oil, but we're also an importer. Kind of an interesting situation there at the same time. Um, how much does U.S. demand really drive the global market at this point with so much of that Russian crude sitting out there? Well, the United States is still a significant uh, demand house for, for oil, as, as you, you, know, you, you would describe it as. Uh, and we do import more oil than we do export. It's a little bit because of, you know, call it a bit of a mismatch. Uh, refineries, particularly on the Gulf Coast, like to run heavy, sour crudes. Uh, we get a lot of that from Canada. But what we produce in West Texas and New Mexico and places like that is a lighter, sweeter crude that is uh, exported and, and used in better at some other refineries. So we're always going to be kind of that that net importer, exporter on uh, on importer on crude, exporter on, on refined products. So uh, as we get into the summer driving season, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because you know, yes, there has been a little bit of EV penetration and impact on, on gasoline demand, uh, but the cars we drive now versus the cars 10 years ago are much more fuel efficient. But don't rule out the impacts working from home because there's still a lot of folks mm-hmm. still working from home. I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> an impact that that has on, uh, on, on gasoline demand. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would. Also, uh, fewer people traveling on public transit, potentially. A lot of different impacts from working from home. So I think the big question the audience wants to know is, where do you see oil prices going at for the rest of this first quarter, which has about a month left, obviously, and then for the rest of the year? Are we going to get back to that $120 a barrel that we saw last year, $130 a barrel that we saw last year, or are we heading in a different direction in your mind? Yeah, I don't think we get 
quite to those 120, 130 type levels. If you remember this week, last a year ago was kind of the week the market became really untethered from reality on based on the thought that we're going to lose one of the most significant oil producers in the world in Russian oil going to zero, essentially, obviously never happened. So I do think there's a shot at triple digits. But again, if we get up there, it's short lived and that should make for a kinder, gentler summer driving season when it comes to, to to retail gasoline prices. Like you mentioned before, we're about 65 cents or about 15, 16% below where we were at this time last year. And when we get to say June, mid-June, when we're at $5 a gallon, don't be surprised to see retail gasoline prices about a dollar cheaper. Really? Uh, that would be very surprising. So Denton Sinkingrana, I know I, I butchered it the first time. Thank you for being on. Thanks for waking up with us. Always appreciate the insight. All right. Coming up on WEX. Big changes coming to one iconic candy bar. The story of Elon Musk sets at the big screen. And Amazon gets Oscar fever. Your top trending stories. They're coming up. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to WAX, a news alert for you right now. The Biden administration is set to propose raising taxes on Americans earning more than $400,000 a year in a bid to extend Medicare for, quote, another generation. The president out with an op-ed on the matter in The New York Times just a short time ago. In it, he says the proposal would involve increasing the Medicare tax rate on earned and unearned income on those making above $400,000 to 5 percent. It's currently at 3.8 percent. Biden adds that the budget he is releasing this week will make the Medicare trust fund solvent beyond 2050 without cutting a penny in benefits. Certainly a hot-button issue. We'll continue to follow it here on CNBC. All right, turning our attention now to China. Chinese President Xi Jinping wrapping up his country's National People's Congress with a rare verbal shot at the U.S. and its allies for leading a campaign to suppress and contain China's technological and economic development. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with much more on this story. And Eunice, some very sharp words from Xi Jinping. Absolutely, Frank. And we're just learning that President Xi and the Communist Party are going to take even greater control over some various, uh, very important aspects of the economy, uh, the finance industry, corporate and consumer data and te- technological development. Uh, that economic management is now uh, going to be coming uh, more under their control. Uh, state media has been reporting the details of a significant reorganization of the government, as well as uh, the relationship between the party and the state. Uh, this, the, now, the way that this is going to work is that the Communist Party is going to be uh, taking greater control of the top government uh, governing body called the State Council. So uh, the council is going to have more direct oversight over a new consolidated financial regulatory agency. Uh, this agency will now have oversight over the banking and insurance sector, though it looks as though not the securities industry. Uh, The council is also going to have greater control over data uh, through a newly established bureau to manage uh, the data here. And then thirdly, the science and technology ministry is going to be reformed, coming directly under the state council. Uh, The point 
according to state media, is to mobilize the national resources to pursue technological development and accelerate the achievement of of self-reliance in technology, which has been a very important goal of President Xi Jinping. Now, this institutional reform plan is supposed to be voted on on Friday. Uh, The outcome, though, is a given, Frank. Um, I think that what investors are going to have to watch for now is exactly what all this means in terms of the economic professionalism of China. Because up until now, uh, China has really been famous for being quite professional and pragmatic when it comes to economic policy. That's one of the reasons why so many multinational companies have come here. Uh, But now that's been called into question because of zero COVID as well as other policies like the tech crackdown. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to circle back. I want to just circle back to those comments from Xi Jinping saying those U.S.-China relations have left a rational path against some very sharp words. That's what he's saying. What about China's foreign minister? Well, he's echoing what President Xi had said. Um, The foreign minister, who was the former Chinese ambassador to the United States, uh, he held his first uh, briefing um, in the job at the National People's Congress. And uh, for any hopes that the uh, tone coming out of the uh, diplomatic corps would uh, soften a bit, uh, is, uh, have, have been dashed. He was very, very uh, um, harsh um, towards the U.S. And I think maybe the key takeaway is that this is the first time that we really heard a direct response uh, from China um, at, at such a high level to the uh, U.S. claims that uh, China could be considering uh, military support for Russia in the Ukraine crisis. He said that uh, he completely denied that. And he said that the blame is unacceptable. Frank. All right. Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, thank you for that. All right. Time now for a check on this morning's other headlines outside the world of business. NBC's Francis Rivera is live in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. We start with the FBI offering a $50,000 reward for information leading to the return of four American citizens kidnapped at gunpoint in Mexico last Friday. This incident took place in the city of Matamoros, near the border town of Brownsville, Texas. A law enforcement official with knowledge of the matter tells NBC News that the kidnapping appears to be a case of mistaken identity and that these four are not suspected of any criminal activity. An unruly passenger arrested for allegedly trying to open a plane's emergency door exit uh, and attacking an attendant that happened on a United Airlines flight from Los Angeles to Boston. Federal prosecutors say 45 minutes before landing, 33-year-old Francisco Torres tried to open an exit door between first class and coach. When flight attendants confronted him, he allegedly tried to stab one of them in the neck with a broken spoon. Fellow passengers tackled and subdued him until the plane landed. He is being held on federal charges. Halle Bailey excitedly revealed a brand new Little Mermaid doll modeled after her character in the upcoming live-action adaptation of the 1989 animated classic. Well, the star announced the launch on Instagram, saying, The little girl in me is pinching herself right now. I can't believe how much she captures my version of this iconic character. The film is set to premiere nationwide on May 23rd. Frank, for Tuesday morning, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis Rivera, live in New York. Thank you very much, Francis. All right, straight ahead here on Wax, a wild ride for shares of Rivian. The stock hitting another road bump this morning. We're going to have the full story for you coming up. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. Stay with us.
It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in New York City, and we're just getting started here on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. The market's win streak continuing to roll on. The Dow and the S&P notching their first multi-day gains in just about a month. Futures suggesting modest moves higher. Investors gearing up for Jerome Powell on the Hill. The Fed chairman going before Congress to talk central bank policy and whether the Fed may need to get more aggressive with its rate hikes in its inflation fight. And sticking with Congress, lawmakers set to unveil a bipartisan bill today targeting TikTok and national security concerns around the Chinese social media app. It is Tuesday, March the 7th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for joining us here on WEX. Let's pick up a half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, we're seeing green across the board. The Nasdaq probably doing the best right now, up about a quarter of a percent. But again, green across the board. We also are checking bond yields right now, looking at those very closely. Of course, we're still seeing the inverted yield curve between the two and the 10-year. Right now, the two-year at 486 the 10-year at 3.93 continue to bump just up against a 4% yield. We also want to look at oil. Right now, we're seeing it pretty much flat this morning, down fractionally now. We're seeing Brent crude at about 80 bucks a barrel, pretty similar to where it started the show. Uh, Brent crude, WTI, excuse me, at 80 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at about 86 bucks a barrel again. Both of them fractionally lower, kind of wobbling between fractionally higher and fractionally lower all morning long. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again to you, Frank. A highly anticipated bipartisan bill addressing security concerns around TikTok set to be formally unveiled in the Senate today. A committee spokeswoman telling CNBC the legislation, which is co-sponsored by Senate Intel Committee Chairman Mark Warner and Senator John Thune, will give the president the authority to respond to threats posed by the China-based company. Ahead of today's formal unveiling, Warner saying the bill will not be limited simply to reigning in TikTok. Senator Warner will have more on the bill when he joins Squawk Box at 8.15 a.m. Eastern. California Governor Gavin Newsom announcing his state is, quote, done with Walgreens over its recent decision not to dispense an abortion pill in 20 states due to legal restrictions. Newsom saying California will not be doing business with the pharmacy chain, with the spokesperson for the governor adding that California is reviewing all relationships between Walgreens and the state. For its part, Walgreens has said it plans to sell the pill in jurisdictions where it is legally allowed to do so. And shares of Rivian are falling ahead of the open after the EV maker revealed it will sell $1.3 billion in bonds to shore up its capital. A Rivian spokesperson telling Reuters the money from this offering will be used to help launch the company's smaller R2 vehicles. The move comes after Rivian laid off 6% of its workforce last month in an effort to cut costs, Frank. Silvana, thank you very much for those headlines. All right, turning our attention back to this morning's top story, and Fed Chairman Jay Powell heads to Capitol Hill today, testifying before the Senate Banking Committee before speaking before the House tomorrow. Today's event expected to begin at just about 10 a.m. Eastern time, with investors likely to hang on every single word for any signs of his next policy move with inflation appearing to plateau. Ahead of today's comments, his first in more than a month, interest rate traders are already pegging the odds of a 50 basis point rate hike at nearly 30 percent. Compare that with less than 10 percent just a month ago. That's according to the CME FedWatch tool. So very interesting graphic right there. For more on the Powell Tea Leaves, let's bring in New York Times Federal Reserve and economics reporter Gina Smilek. She's also the author of a new book, Limitless. And look at how a succession of crises expanded the Fed's powers in ways the public has yet to fully comprehend. 
Gina, good morning. That's quite the title. Wow. we got to get into that at the end. All right. First, I think we got to start with today's news. Uh, Jerome Powell on Capitol Hill. Jobs report on Friday. Two big macro moments here. Which one's bigger and how do you see it impacting the markets? Two big macro moments, kind of out of order. I bet Jerome Powell really wishes that job, jobs report came before his speech this week. Um, I think that they are both really important to watch. Clearly, we are going to have to keep an eye on whatever Chair Powell says about both the speed of rate increases and the extent of them going forward. You know, he's unlikely to commit in any direction. But you have kind of seen this creep on the committee where they're signaling that they might do a little bit more than they were previously previously expecting, just because momentum in the economy is so strong. And then those jobs numbers on Friday could confirm for us whether that is accurate. You know, we saw more than half a million in January. Was that a blip? Was it a weather thing? Or is it going to continue? You know, this is going to be a really important report to watch. You know, you're the Fed reporter. and You're asking those questions. I'm glad because I don't have the answers either. So one thing I want to point to here is um, how does the jobs report, I guess, weigh with the Fed? A lot of the gains in jobs that we've seen have been in hospitality, leisure. Those are people spending, consumers spending. Not in other areas of the economy that we've seen kind of hit hard. So if we continue to see that growth when it really comes down to hospitality and leisure, what does that say to Jerome Powell and the Fed? I think what that says to Jerome Powell and the Fed is that services are really, really hot. And that worries them because services inflation is the kind of inflation that the Fed thinks they can actually do something about. You know, it's sort of the fundamental economic momentum inflation is how I think of it. You know, hot economy equals strong services hiring, strong services inflation. And so I think they're actually going to take a real signal from that and take it as a sign that they have more work to do to cool this economy down if they hope to get inflation under control in anything like a couple of years timeline. All right. So coming up just next week, we have CPI. We also have a Fed meeting coming up after that on the 21st and the 22nd, I believe, late March. So how does Jerome Powell kind of pivot or position his comments today, knowing that he has these two other big events coming up later? Yeah, I think this is such a tough communications challenge because we really don't know what that Friday jobs report is going to bring. We really don't know what's happening with CPI at all. They really think that January might have been a blip. There was a lot of weird stuff happening. But I also think that they don't want to completely walk off the table the possibility that they might do more because in the event that you see a confirmation in all of this data, in the event that it looks like the economy is as hot as the January data were, um, I think they're going to really have to be in place to do more. So I think we're going to see a speech where he's trying to keep all of his options on the table and really avoid committing to any one path today. All right. So you're saying that January may have been a blip, but obviously Friday's very influential on the Fed's decision. So how big is CPI coming up? Huge, huge, I think, because, you know, really what we saw in this last CPI report was a huge disappointment from their perspective. Everything had been kind of going in the right direction for them when it came to inflation. Late last year, it looked like everything was kind of steadily decelerating. And then all of a sudden, we got revisions that made that story look a little less convincing. And then we got a big pop in January and a lot of those month-over-month numbers where we weren't necessarily expecting it. And so I think that combination is just going to really stick out to them as something to be concerned about. And if we get it confirmed, in the next CPI report, I think they're really going to have to take a big signal from that about what they need to do with policy next. All right. So we keep talking about Jerome Powell, Jerome Powell. He's certainly not the only voice in the room. So kind of tell me about the, the role that dissension perhaps plays in this. Um, in, in some of your research during the last financial crisis, Janet Yellen actually was the voice of dissent saying that things are worse than you all think they are. They're not just going to pass. Are there any dissenters in this Fed that are maybe saying, wait a minute before we hike these rates, because a lot of people are still being hurt by this? You know, you do hear some amount of voice, some amount of 
argument that they should be gentle in the process. Not that they shouldn't raise interest rates, but that they should be very deliberative about it. Is that a quarter of a basis point hike? That Exactly. Stick to the quarter basis point hikes. Think about when they need to stop. Be very cautious. I actually think that was the Lale Brainerd camp of the Federal Reserve. Lale Brainerd has just recently moved over to be the top economist at the White House. And so we are really losing an important voice in that. In that corner, I think most of the dissension you're hearing right now at this exact moment actually cuts in the other direction. So we saw several of officials who really wanted to go by a bigger half-point move back in January. And I'm really interested to see whether those folks feel empowered at this upcoming meeting. So far, they've kind of basically, Loretta Mester, who's out of the Cleveland Fed and was one of the people who wanted half a point last time, has been pretty clear that she thinks that there's a high bar to speeding back up. But then, you know, others like Neil Kashkari out in Minneapolis have said he's open-minded about it. And so I I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion at this upcoming meeting. All right, before we let you go, I want to talk about your book very quickly. How have the Fed powers expanded through all these crises in ways that we don't know yet. Give us the, the biggest way that we might see down the line. I think the way that all of your viewers are going to be pretty familiar with is they are just buying so many assets during times of crisis. You know, we saw quantitative easing, those bond buying purchases just explode. And it's really become a regular part of the toolkit. They also have a lot of emergency powers. We saw them intervene in corporate bond markets, municipal markets, you know, basically name a market. They were in it in 2020. And I think it's really interesting because I don't think we've had a full discussion about what that meant for those markets and what it's going to mean in the future, because I think there is an expectation, at least when I talk to investors, that it's going to happen again if we ever have another big financial crisis. And the system is complex enough to think we could very likely have another financial crisis at some point. Perhaps. Also reading uh, about loaning money to state and local governments. Very interesting stuff here. Gina Smilik, excellent stuff from The New York Times. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Author of Limitless, book out now. All right, coming up here on WEX, a social media showdown and why Jack Dorsey's Twitter alternative may spell just a bit of trouble for Elon Musk. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Amazon's Fire TV launching a dedicated Oscars hub just in time for the award show. Gina, you a fan? She's like, yes. Movie buffs can watch all the nominated films in one place and cast their predictions for the winners in seven major categories through an interactive voting experience until March 20th. Gina says she's going to be our documentary filmmaker Alex Gibney naming the subject of his latest project, Elon Musk. Gibney, whose previous work has covered Scientology, WikiLeaks, and Vladimir Putin, says the movie titled Musk has been in the making for months and will be a definitive and unvarnished examination of the controversial CEO. A lot of interest there. And Toblerone candy bars are getting a new look. The triangle-shaped chocolate bar is removing the Matterhorn, a famous mountain in the Swiss Alps, from its packaging as more of its treats are made outside of Switzerland. The Matterhorn has been on the Toblerone packaging since 1970 and will be replaced by a streamlined mountain logo in order to comply with a Swiss law that says products must be made in Switzerland to use the country's symbols on packaging. Big story for you candy lovers out there. Wex, back in a moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to WEX. Twitter facing its latest service outage yesterday and its most wide-ranging disruption to date under owner Elon Musk. Since Musk's $44 billion takeover of the social platform, many argue he's fundamentally changed what founder Jack Dorsey built. But Dorsey is now re-entering the space, looking to disrupt what he actually helped create. CNBC.com tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos is here with more. And Mac, you've been speaking to developers and technologists at one of the year's biggest crypto conferences in Denver, talking about the Twitter war taking shape. Hey, good morning, Frank. 
So Elon Musk's makeover of Twitter has set off this newfound interest and migration of people into the world of decentralized social networks. So many platforms that had actually been around for years but didn't garner much attention until the last six months. Now, decentralized is one of those buzzwords. It gets thrown a lot or around a lot when we're talking crypto. Now, in the context of social media, it means that it's harder for companies to track people's data and what they talk about online. It also challenges censorship. So some of these decentralized social projects that have been getting more attention lately include Mastodon, as well as Lens and Farcaster, which are both Twitter substitutes built on blockchains. And then Jack Dorsey is going head to head with Musk with two Twitter alternatives that he's chosen to back. There's Blue Sky, which launched an invite only app last week. The fact that a closed beta has hit the app store could mean a public launch is imminent. There were 30,000 signups to the wait list within 48 hours. So there's clearly user interest there. Blue Sky was originally created within Twitter back in 2019 when Dorsey was still CEO. It got $13 million in funding last April and Jack joined the board. And then in December, Dorsey donated 14 Bitcoin, around $245,000 at the time, to a decentralized social media project called Noster that lets users own their online identity. Domus is an app built on top of this network, and it's been live on the App Store for months. Many of Block's senior leadership team is using the platform, as is the Bitcoin-friendly Senator Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming. I've tried it out, too. It's also integrated Bitcoin's Lightning Network, meaning that it facilitates exchanges of decentralized money as well, Frank. All right. So very interesting stuff here. So a lot of platforms out here, they claim that you can have more ownership over your privacy and over your data. Um, Does this new Jack Dorsey platform, does it actually offer that? And are there other platforms where you can genuinely control your data? Right. So a lot of these platforms don't have an algorithm, ads, and they aren't selling user data, which are the classic ways that social networks make money. And then there's the issue of scale. There are billions of Facebook users, hundreds of millions of active users on Twitter. But with Mastodon, for example, it has 1.3 million monthly active users, Nostr's users in the hundreds of thousands. So we're not at all at the point where adoption is hitting critical mass, even after the exodus that we saw of users from Twitter last fall. It's also unclear how these platforms will generate money. It's possible that Blue Sky, for example, could turn to subscriptions to monetize operations. But we haven't heard much from their team yet. All right. So just just asking here. So when it comes to adoption, does it really come down to whether or not people actually care about their data and their privacy? Because we often have our data just flying everywhere. So (laughs) is that the key question for these platforms? Yeah, no, that's just it, Frank. So the user experience with a lot of these front end apps that are built on top of these decentralized protocols is really rough. I mean, I've tried it out. It's not a particularly nice user experience. It's clunky. I asked Francis Hogan at ETH Denver why people would want to move from a centralized platform to a decentralized platform, and she says it's all about self-governance. We've kind of come to accept that we are subjects of like a king, like Mark or Elon, and we can either follow their rules or like leave. And there's an interesting opportunity for people to be citizens of their platforms, you know, having an ability to vote, but also having responsibilities that come with that. Haugen also made the point that the problem with social media today largely comes down to incentives and control. Right now, social media platforms are ad supported, which means that they make their money by keeping you on there as long as possible. They're often owned and controlled by one leader at the top. She thinks Web3 social media is a huge opportunity because it's about ways of giving the people who make their livelihoods on these platforms the ability to influence the rules that govern them and the ways that their content is distributed. 
Really interesting stuff, Mac. I don't know if I want the people on Twitter governing anything, but, <laughs> um, but really interesting stuff and just really the future of the way a lot of us interact with our friends, our family, and just our coworkers sometimes on social media. So great stuff as always. Mackenzie Segala, it's great to have you here. Thank Thanks, Frank. All right, coming up here on WEX, G-Square Private Wealth's Victoria Green is standing by, and she's brought a diverse lineup of stocks that are very high on her shopping list. Those names coming up next. And as we had to break throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage, sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here is Brunswick president, Brenna Price. What I've learned from my own journey is to have courage. Someone once shared with me that along the way, as the stakes get higher, you may question whether you put your ideas or thoughts on the table. But diversity only matters when you bring your full self and your voice is heard. So my advice is to be true to yourself and to make sure that your perspectives and opinions are heard. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. First off in France, labor unions stepping up their fight against President Emmanuel Macron's plans to make employees work until the age of 64 before they can retire with a pension. A fresh wave of strikes is expected to bring the country's operations to a halt. Meta reportedly planning thousands more layoffs as soon as this week. This is in addition to the 13% of workers laid off back in November. Software maker Atlassian also announcing it's slashing 5% of its global workforce. The Biden administration is set to propose raising taxes on Americans earning more than $400,000 a year in a bid to extend the life of Medicare. In the New York Times op-ed this morning, President Biden saying his new budget proposal will make the Medicare trust fund solvent beyond 2050 without cutting a penny in benefits. Chinese President Xi Jinping taking rare aim at the U.S. in a speech yesterday, blaming a Washington-led campaign for its role in suppressing its growth and isolating China from the world economy. WW International acquiring subscription telehealth platform Sequence for $132 million as it looks to compete in the $50 billion drug prescription business. And Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan calling for a technical recession in the U.S. during the third quarter of this year, adding he expects interest rates to start falling in the second quarter of 2024. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead on the economic front. We get January wholesale trade figures. Also watching out for earnings from Dick's Sporting Goods, Thor Industries, and Squarespace, among others. Then at 10 a.m., the big market event of the day. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell kicks off uh, day one of his semi-annual testimony to Congress. CNBC will have complete coverage of that testimony. So ahead of that Powell testimony, let's dive into the trading day ahead and find some opportunity within these markets with Victoria Green, founding partner and chief investment officer of G-Squared Private Wealth. She's also a CNBC contributor. Victoria, great to have you here. Morning, Frank. So let's just kick it off. I think we got to start off with uh, Jerome Powell on the Hill today, semi-annual testimony. What are you expecting from Jerome Powell today? And of course, we have the jobs report coming up on Friday. I mean, today and tomorrow is all about Powell. I think the, the market's going to hang on his every word. I don't really think he's going to say anything too consequential, honestly. I think they're waiting on more data. Was January jobs an anomaly or not? How sticky is CPI going to be next week? And until he has those data points, we'll see what happens on the 22nd. But I think it's still going to be 25 basis points. I think 50 basis points kind of got shut down by daily this week. And I think he's just going to reiterate what the rest of the Fed governors have said recently, which is higher for longer. And we are trying to not, uh, trying to 
avoid that stop, start, stop, start, sticky Fed policy that you saw in the, the 70s and 80s. And so I think it's just reaffirming what's already been said. I'm not really looking to find anything really, I don't think he's going to say anything controversial. I think he's going to try to avoid poking it and poking the bear. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to have a tough dance to do here. A lot of questions, obviously, from the Hill. Um, so I want to ask you, we're about two weeks away from that Fed meeting. Are you expecting a 25 basis point hike or a 50 uh, point basis hike? And I know you said that Jerome Powell is going to be pretty careful, but does he tip his hand either way when he testifies? Uh, I'm expecting 25. I think the market would be hugely shocked if it's 50. I was looking at futures this morning. It's pricing in 30 basis points, which is very heavily weighted to to 25 basis points. I think if anything, you could see if the data comes in softer, a surprise on the upside and a little bit of rally here. We are very reluctant bulls, as I call myself. But if you look at the supports that's held, I think the Fed it has tried to communicate very hard. Hey, we are higher for longer. We do not plan on cutting rates. The market has seemed to absorb that because that's just reiterating again what Daly, what Bernard and some of the other Fed governors said last week. So I think if you saw 50, I think that would be a huge downside shock to the market, but most likely it's status quo in 25. All right, so speaking of the market, we have two earnings reports today, not necessarily huge earnings reports, but two very different industries. We have Dick's, which is in the sporting goods space, and then, of course, we have um, blanking on this one. i got to just look at the notes here. CrowdStrike. How <laughs> CrowdStrike. could I forget? I actually cover CrowdStrike. I know. Uh, and the cybersecurity space. I know. Come on, help me out, Vicky. Um, two very different companies reporting. What are you expecting from each one and what will that tell us about investing in the last month of this first quarter? Sure. Dix is another referendum on the consumer health. They're a little bit higher end, so we'll see how much discretionary spending people had, how inflation affected their, their purchases. We saw in some of the big box stores, discretionary big ticket items did get a little bit hit. So I think Dix is just another referendum on the consumer. For CrowdStrike, we're seeing if they can buck the trend. A lot of clouds uh, cloud-based stocks really struggled. And so it's going to be less about what did you do for us fourth quarter, a lot of focus on the ARR, the annual recurring revenue, and what are you going to do for me going forward? Are we going to see this above-trend growth? And they've seen their peers really struggle because if their guidance at all at 23 and 24 and beyond isn't as high as the street wants to see, that's really what's been causing these stocks to struggle. So I think some of this this uh, technology, especially cybersecurity, has really struggled this year. And a lot of people have have really shrugged off decent earnings. And a lot of it, the guidance isn't strong enough. They're really punishing the stops. So I think on one hand, we'll see how healthy the consumer is. On the other, we'll, we'll see how healthy the cloud base is and okay. if we're able to see spending continue. All right. Before we let you go, we got to get to your picks, hopefully stocks that are not struggling. I have one I was really interested in. MPC, explain why that's one of your picks right now. So I do think that that peak oil in, in the last two years, we've had a great run in energy stocks. So we have gone a little more neutral on the energy sector. However, the Marathon is still one of my favorite picks in this space. They're like at a five times P.E. They've got a 225 dividend. They printed two point eight billion dollars in cash, excess of dividend and, and minority shareholder distributions in just Q4. They're going to continue to print money. Everybody's been traveling. If that's been one consistent uh, part and data point is that consumers want to travel and spend money. I think you could see an above average driving season. Yeah, their refining margins might come down slightly, but they're still hugely profitable and trading at such a reasonable valuation. I think it's a good place to hide, collect some dividends. And we're going to see we're going to still need oil and gas. We're seeing continued increases in demand there. So it's a good place to be. All right. Your other picks, Darden Restaurants and also Costco. Wish we could get to them. Victoria Green, great to have you here. Thanks for those picks. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern 
Listen in. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.